Hi, I'm Xavier McFarlane, and welcome to the Catholic City Podcast from the Mary Foundation. Today's episode is part of our Young Adult Leader series and features Ken DeMall, the Director of the Youth and Young Adult Ministry at St. John Catholic Church in Westminster, Maryland. He is a convert to the faith and was called to ministry after college while thinking about becoming a police officer. We discuss the challenge of restarting a young adult ministry, drawing in and retaining people, the importance of relationships, the grand vision of young adult ministry, how to help a priest get a ministry going, how to avoid the atmosphere of a desperate social or singles club, and more. But first, if you want to learn more about Catholicism or are looking for materials to evangelize family, friends, and fellow parishioners, please visit the Mary Foundation at catholiccity.com to order our Catholic scapulars, books, booklets, medals, and best-selling novels by Bud McFarlane. Sign up for Bud's Catholic City Message, where he's been sharing profound insights, sage advice, and crazy stories for over 25 years. We are also the world's largest distributor of the Purple Scapular, given by Mary to the approved French mystic Marie-Julie Jehenny in the late 1800s. You can learn more at our website, catholiccity.com. Hi, Ken. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing good. All right. We are here in the Mary Foundation slash Catholic Young Adult Group studio with Myself, Xavier McFarland, your host, Anthony Mancini of CatholicYoungAdultGroups.org and the Mary Foundation, and Ken DeMall. Ken, can you tell us about yourself? Sure. Um, so I am located in Westminster, Maryland. Um, I lead our, our parish young adult group here at St. John in Westminster, and I am... Um, I've been doing youth ministry and different forms of ministry for 17 years, and it's just, it's a blast to be here talking to you guys. Great. Can you uh, briefly describe uh, what your ministry entails, um, how long it's been going on, and um, kind of the, just maybe like one takeaway that you really, um, um, that really nurtures you as a ministry leader? Yeah, you got it. So. I'm lucky enough that I, I kind of inherited the group that um, that we have, although, you know, I, I started doing my current role here at St. John right before the COVID-19 pandemic started. Um, and so it, it was a bit challenging to, to do stuff because at least in my area, a lot of social gatherings were not allowed for a very long period of time. Um, and that, that was kind of the nature of, of what, what we were doing. So, um, the group had had a pretty good kind of um, could a pretty good following. COVID kind of nuked that, um, and after that, you know, we we were kind of picking up the pieces and and get going. I I think what what I've loved the most about my my young adult group um, is it's a it's a ministry my wife has really gotten involved with with me, and so that that's really fun to kind of do that ministry with her. Um, and also uh, our first couple of meetings, I was really blown away by the depth that the young adults had coming. Um, I kind of figured we'd be kind of starting from scratch and just trying to get people interested and excited about what we were doing. But kind of there was this this push to kind of do more spiritual formation and things of that nature. Okay. Um, so you, um, what called you personally to um, either take this job at the parish or um, uh, become a young adult minister? Can you kind of walk us through the, the story there, the timeline? Absolutely. I'll, I'll give it to you short because it's, it's, a, long, it's a long story. So um, 
I, uh, I'm a convert to Catholicism and I guess, I guess that's really where it began when I was a teenager. I didn't, didn't really have any kind of formal religious education or formation growing up. You know, my parents, we just, we didn't go to church and that's just kind of how it was. But I, I always had this strong sense of longing and just wanting to know about God. Um, I really attribute that to the prayers of my deceased grandmother at the time, you know, kind of, kind of looking back, but, um, I, uh, I, I kind of had this hunger and, you know, I, I had a good neighbor who was a uh, Protestant who was really trying to get me involved in the Pentecostal church. And I went and did a bunch of stuff with them and just, it was cool, but it didn't, didn't seem to really fit. And I was hanging out with a good friend when I was uh, in, uh, sophomore in high school who said to me, you know, Hey, I go to this church thing. Do you, do you want to go with me? And I was like, sure, why not? Um, and you know, that, that night kind of changed my life because it's, it's probably a night you probably shouldn't have invited somebody to their first like experience of the Catholic church because mm-hmm. he invited me to um, a high school adoration night. Um, and I just had this profound encounter with God there. And I just, I knew, I didn't know what that thing was and I didn't understand what we were doing, but I, I just knew God was present. Um, and that got me really kind of involved in wanting to learn about the Catholic faith. Um, I definitely had some arguments with my parents about that because they were originally not very supportive of the idea of me converting. Um, and as I got into college, I, I really got invested in our campus ministry program and, um, kind of led it for a while. Um, and I never really thought about what I was going to do post-graduation as I, as I kind of wound down my time there. And uh, as near as I could figure it, I thought I was going to become a, uh, a cop, um, of all things. And, uh, which, which made my mom cry <laughs> when I told her I was going to be a cop. She said, well, as long as you're, you're not going to be a cop, any other career is fine. What are you going to do? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a cop. And so she started crying, um, which was funny looking back. But, um, you know, my, I went for a background check and I asked my youth minister, former youth minister to give me a reference. And, uh, he, he really kind of challenged me and said, you know, I, I think you're supposed to do ministry. And I took it to prayer and it was kind of one of these immediate answers. I was asking God in prayer, you know, should I? And God just responded, yes. Um, and so after that, you know, as as with all things, usually the young adult stuff kind of gets lumped in, at least in my area, with with a lot of other things. So I kind of started trying my hand at, at young adult ministry. Sure, sure. So the, um, the ministry you had mentioned was already there and you kind of filled that leadership role. In the parish, correct. Yeah. So, how was the the ministry before, and then um, how did you uh, either conform or how did you conform the group to you uh, when you Got when it. you yeah. So the group was was already in existence, and I mean it it was a great group. I, I was really lucky. One of the reasons I I took this job is I knew a lot of the families at this church. Um, a lot of the young adults were actually former teens of mine that I had gotten to work with as a high school youth minister. So that, that was really cool kind of seeing them um, grow up a bit and step into kind of a new role and be able to kind of accompany them in a different way. Um, The group was meeting very regularly um, and did a lot of really cool stuff. And unfortunately, like I kind of said in the intro, you know, COVID really kind of nuked that we were in the process of trying to, build and kind of get things going in 2020. Um, and then COVID kind of took a turn for the worse and at least in Maryland. And so things really clamped down. We were only able to meet in groups of 10 or less and couldn't gather for social events. Mm -hmm. So that pretty much took everything we had off the table. 
Um, and so when I started going about it to reboot things in 2021, I had this core leadership group um, that, that was great. I had assigned them roles and we were designing a schedule and we were working through all this stuff. And what I discovered is that whole group had basically dissipated. They either got got married and moved away or, you know, had just uh, a comedy of things, had kids and were no longer able to commit as much as they could. So I, I was kind of in, in this spot of like we, we got to rebuild things. So like there was a good structure because I think there was a lot of desire in the parish to do young adult ministry. Sure. Um, but COVID-19 kind of wiped the slate for us. So we were really really trying to focus on kind of uh, not just rebuilding, but like restarting things. Sure. Sure. So how do you, uh, how exactly do you go about marketing your ministry? I'm curious. Do you have bulletin um, inserts? Do you personally invite people? Um, how'd you get it going um, from scratch again, essentially, and then um, to where it is now? Sure. So I, we're, we're, we're lucky. I mean, we do, we do all the usual things, right? The bulletin, you know, the pulpit announcements, flyers, all of that stuff. Um, we started trying to really market ourselves on Instagram. Um, and, and my wife was, was really the one who kind of took this under wrap where we just started DMing like young adults, um, in our area, young adults that we knew, young adults that we kind of sort of knew, asking people, you know, who are your friends? You might be interested in this. I'm lucky that the the part of Maryland I'm I'm in, there's kind of a natural interest, I think, in in doing some young adult Catholic stuff, um, and, and also in the part of the state and the diocese that I'm in, um, there there isn't a whole lot happening with young adult ministry. So there there's a very big pool of people to pull from. Um, and, you know, just, just trying to reach out to people. The other thing that's that's kind of cool is my church is very close to a college campus. And mm. so the diocese has really kind of tasked us with doing ministry there for that particular church uh, uh, campus. It, it's a little difficult trying to figure out all the all the ins and outs um, of how we can do things, when we can do things, uh, you know, how to how to best reach the student body. But that that's also a portion of kind of what, what we consider young adult ministry here. Um, but I, I think the real thing is just kind of the direct invite. I mean, that that's always kind of been the, the, the bread and butter, at least for me, because that's one, how I came to encounter the faith personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just not, not being afraid to just kind of go up and start talking to some people, whether you see them at mass, where you kind of see them out and about and just say, Hey, you know, we do this thing. Uh, we'd love, we'd love for you to be a part of it. So in terms of the the personal inviting, how much of that falls on you or your wife, say, as sort of the quote-unquote paid ministry leaders, and how much of that do you try to encourage in your leadership team or your just kind of day-to-day membership? So initially, I mean, it was really. It was really just us because no nobody really understood what we were doing. And it was helpful. Like we picked for our kickoff event. We did um we did a night called Ales and Axes, um, which is basically we rented a, a mobile axe throwing truck and then you know we had we had alcohol available. And uh, I I made my pastor a little nervous, but you know, we we checked all the boxes and everything was good, you know, legal wise and liability wise for the parish. So we have receipts. So that that got some interest. But you know, a lot of it in the early stages was just us. Um and what I what I think is really cool is some of the people that we've invited have really connected and formed friendships and um 
continue to do things outside of our regular meetings. And that has been a really big source of um, being able to draw people in. It's kind of we've got like a core skeleton of people that we can kind of graft things onto. And that that's been really helpful because they'll invite people. I've I've got some people who are very vocal about young adult ministry and just, hey, there's some really cool stuff going on here. You should come with me. Just kind of that that's their natural personality type, right? They're the type of people that they said, hey, something's happening. Let's let's go. Um and so I, I would say at this point, it's probably 50-50. We've been able to shift that from like 100% to um, you know 50-50, which is great. Because to me, and I, I've been very vocal about this to the, to the leaders in the group of, you know, you show up at a young adult event and I greet you with my five children. And you know, it's, just like, it's like, oh, I don't know about this. But you, you meet somebody who's more your age, who looks like you, kind of has similar interests like that. That's, that's a really good kind of first handshake there. You know, so sure. um, we, we really try to try to lean in on that. Sure. Yeah. A couple a couple of things you said when in, ter- in terms of um, inviting people and marketing your ministry kind of rung a bell. Um, uh, very similar to what Xavier and I kind of did uh, with our ministry. Uh, first was, you know, we're, we're having our first meeting on X date, you know, and for you, that was probably the, the axe throwing the ales and axes. Um, but we texted everybody in our contacts, you know, similar to you, nice. Instagram DMing. Yeah, it just it takes some courage. Just anybody who might be interested, anybody who who's in the age range, frankly, doesn't matter. No discrimination at all. We we invited them with like a canned text, you know. And then yeah, uh, yeah it, I've wrote about this too. Going back to you, you mentioned the core a couple times. We believe the the goal should be to grow that core of people, you know, and that's not everybody who shows up to a particular meeting on any given day or a particular event on any given day. It's the people who keep showing up week after week, month after month, and really are the, the spirit of your ministry, the people that make it what it is, you know, and everything else is kind of, uh, structured around them. So, yeah, I think, um, bringing them into that, that inner layer of the onion is the goal, you know, a new person shows up and you want to kind of acclimate them to the community, but you don't know if they're going to stay. You you hope that they stay, um, but how do you bring uh, that new person into the the inner core, so to speak? Do you have a thought on that? How do you? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah, somebody, yeah like, absolutely. What's I mean, your retention this is, plan? This yeah. is, uh, I, I feel like this is kind of my, well, I mean, it's a lot of people's trademarks in ministry, but I, I think that idea of trying to form relationships well and draw people in, right? Because not every relationship is going to look the same. You know, some people will stay a little bit more surface level and some people will, will get a little bit deeper. And so for me, like what what's important is trying to involve as diverse a number of people as possible in that leadership team, because I think I think that's helpful in growing kind of your inner core. Because that first initial stage, you're kind of there, you're feeling a little awkward, you're not you're not really sure like what what you're doing coming to this event. Maybe, maybe you don't know anybody. Like I've had a lot of people move to the area and they're just kind of checking us out to see kind of like what, what's going on. Right. So you show up to this thing and you just kind of feel awkward. If I've got in my, you know, leadership core, a group of people that have a diverse group of interests, they're, they're as diverse as possibly can be both in age, 
vocation, interest, you know, all of that stuff, I can quickly gauge this new person and introduce them to somebody that I think might be the most successful at helping them feel connected to the group. Oh, yeah. Um, and some of that might just be the fact that, you know, they're just really good at making small talk, you know, and I've, I've got people like that. They're a little bit more outgoing. They're a little bit more focused on just asking this person questions. Sometimes it might be they say, hey, you know, I'm studying at this place or, hey, kind of I work in this area or I live in this area. And then trying to be able to connect them with somebody that they can form a little bit of a deeper, deeper relationship with. Um, but I also make sure that I'm I'm really trying to connect with as many people as possible at an event. Right. So I, I think there's this there's this temptation, at least when you're the leader, that you got to be the guy running around, setting up tables, plugging in extension cords. And, and all of that stuff's very important because the meeting doesn't happen without it. But also really trying to set that so you can greet people, you can engage with them and making sure that you're you're making those relational contacts. Because at least in my experience, you know, most people will forgive an event if it's not like a hundred percent polished. I mean, I, I think we should we should work for that, right? Like it sh- it should always be the best thing we can offer. I'm not saying Certainly. compromising on quality, but if you have a choice between, hey, this thing isn't a hundred percent ready, or I'm going to go do that, or I'm going to greet people, it's always like lean in and greet people, mm-hmm. you know? Because I mean, there's uh, even some of the times like. It, <laughs> It's not always advisable, but like if you're plugging in extension cords, you meet somebody new. Hey, can you help me with this? And, you know, you're plugging in cords and saying, so, hey, tell me about yourself, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and trying to trying to build uh, uh, things up, especially I think sometimes with guys like having something to do in a new social situation is like is is a little bit easier than just, you know, trying to break the ice cold. Certainly. I think that's very important to find um, kind of a baseline uh, between either you or whoever you're kind of delegating to bring the new person in. It's like you have a common interest here, or I think that you would be uh, be able to relate with so-and-so on this particular topic. And then that's that kind of plants the seed. It's not the event necessarily that keeps them there. It's a thing yeah. for them to do. But they, they come to this community to find whatever it is, and it's it's likely a relationship. So setting up for uh, setting them up setting them up for success is kind of what you're doing. You're trying to do, and we totally agree with that. Um, there was somebody that we were talking to about evangelization on a different podcast, and his strategy was to really get an emotional response from this person that you're trying to invite mm-hmm. to something. You know, try to get a feel for how they're how they think and what they value and try to relate with them on that and then try to, you know, introduce them to other people who share those common interests. So it's, it's a tactic of evangelization. I think that really works and it seems like you discovered it yourself. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, something that just occurred to me that that's also good is that fact of just kind of knowing yourself as like a minister, right? Mm -hmm. What are you good at and what are you not good at? And then trying to surround yourself with people who can do those things, right? Because um, that that also kind of increases your your ability to reach. Like I, my wife kind of expressed interest to me um, right off the bat when we were starting this young adult ministry. Which is, this is great, but like I I would have had to find somebody like her if she didn't express interest because just that idea of like you know 
I, I need a woman to kind of help me reach out to women. And I, I can definitely do ministry with women, but like that idea of having somebody who kind of looks like you and you can kind of talk about similar things, right? Like a bunch yeah. of the girls in our group have started having babies, right? And so it's just like my wife's able to just enter into that conversation in a way that I can, but you know, I, I'd rather be playing cornhole with the guys and talking about something else. Mm -hmm. So like, it just, it, it kind of allows that, that relational characteristic to really come out in your group. Sure. Sure. Um, we, we see that in our ministry as well, where, you know, there's a, there's a responsibility of the women to, to play a role in this, uh, since we're two men, uh, running this ministry, there's, just an inherent, you know, we're not women, so we're not going to appeal to everything that a woman wants. So the sure. women in our core, they understand that role, and they they do a pretty good job. They're doing a decent job, a uh, better job than they have been, certainly. Um, so this whole, when I was talking to you on the phone, um, and based on what you've told us so far, um, relationships are very, very important in your ministry. And we tend to agree with you, but there's a lot of ministries out there with different charisms, so to speak. Um, you know, some lean more catechetical, some lean more sacramental. Uh, can you kind of elaborate on your your decision, or maybe you're just the way you are? Why you think relationships are the most important part of the ministry? Because you can have an event that's you know instructional or um, sacramental, and people will come, but relationships can sort of go by the wayside with those events, I think, if you don't put an emphasis. But yeah. you seem to put an emphasis on yeah. relationships. Absolutely, yeah. Well, so, you know, I, I think for me, kind of that practical experience of what, what really connected me to the Catholic Church over the Pentecostal Church, I, I mean, I definitely had that, that Eucharistic encounter. Um, but I think if that had been it, I, I don't know if that would have been enough to kind of keep me around. Um, what really kept me plugged in as a person was every every and I, I didn't I didn't come for large periods of time during this time either. Like if I showed up at an event, like whether it was a teenager in the high school youth ministry program or an adult leader, like they remembered me and made an effort to connect with me. And that just that really surprised me because like here I am popping in like you know, once a month or every two weeks or every four weeks or whatever. And just somebody felt like, like I had a place there. And that, that was really kind of the two things together really, really connected me. And I, I think like, you know, um, this is a pretty, pretty big statement, but um, I, I think our culture is really struggling in a lot of ways with this sense of identity and purpose. Um, and I, I think you see that being fleshed out and all kinds of ways throughout our culture. But even one of the things that I've been reading a lot about recently is how relationally anorexic we are coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic and just how much we've lost in terms of interconnection with people and how hungry and desirous we are of that. Like it's it's not that the theology doesn't matter because it does. Like we we desperately need to know what our faith teaches, why it teaches, and offer people profound sacramental encounters. But I, I think one of the ways that we as a church can exist that's differently than other organizations is offering people authentic 
caring relationships, which it seems to be in in somewhat of short supply in in this day and age. Absolutely, I think uh, Xavier can relate that to that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was kind of the whole reason I got into this. Um, before we started our group Grapevine, we were it was right after the pandemic. I was living at home with my mom and working alone with my dad. And I was like, man, this sucks. And we started going to another local young adult group. And we were like, hmm, this seems to be the path forward. And we both felt for different reasons a calling toward it. But mine particularly was there's more people out here like me where their experience of life right now is basically complete isolation and solitude. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, there's a demand for what we offer in the church, not just the sacraments and the theology and like a life to live based on truth, but just also true community surrounded by like the same mission and goal in life, which mm-hmm. is probably extra tough in our culture now with all the relativism where you might have friends who are like, oh yeah, I agree, you know, do what you do you, man. But then it's like, you're not really going in the same direction. And yeah. that's got to dig at people internally. They just like the lack of unity there yeah well even like you know i i haven't done a ton of reading on this i'm I'm still a bit of a novice and i i think it's i think it's something that's still being discovered and discussed about but just i think what you're saying is there there's this just i think it's like be on a crisis level of loneliness for men in particular where a lot of the fraternal structures we we used to have as kind of a culture have gone away for a lot of different reasons. And so as a man, it's kind of like, where, where do you fit in and whether you, where do you join with other men? And that's, um, I, I think that's something not, not that it's not important for women to get together, but I think it's something that's very important for men to be around other men and have kind of those fraternal connections. And, um, you know, we just, we don't see that. And I, I think a lot of men are kind of feeling isolated, lonely, lost, um, and, young adult ministry can be a, a, a helpful solution to that. Do you think that men know that they lack that? Do you think? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't. I don't think they know that. I, I think we as a culture have found a lot of coping mechanisms for that. I, I think, you know, our, our technology helps us cope with that. You know, I think streaming services help cope with that. I, I think we found a lot of ways to numb ourselves. And I, I think, you know, we, we kind of did that even more so after or during the pandemic, right? So you, you can kind of fill that void with things. So you don't you don't always kind of feel that way. But I, I think it, it's still there. It's still very much there. And it, it doesn't quite always scratch the itch. Certainly. How do you think, um, just going forward, you know, just for your ministry, what do you, what's the grand plan here? Do you have um, sort of a... a I guess your maybe your five year ten year plan for your ministry. How how do you uh, see you know making a real impact on your area and maybe influencing uh, would be leaders, other leaders, um, other ministries that might pop up in the next five to ten years to really bring this countercultural idea of relationships like real Christ centered relationships in person to the rest of the world. Like do do you have, yeah so. The dream for me um, would be that I have a team of leaders who do everything. Like I, I can be the guy in the background who makes sure that the budget's being followed, 
that doors are being unlocked that, you know, really kind of handle like some of the behind the scenes details, but like they've, they've got it. And every once in a while I could pop in to, you know, do some maybe formation with the leaders. I could obviously be at the meetings and kind of help with the social stuff, but really let them just kind of turn loose and go. Um, and I, I can probably, I can provide more of that kind of like advice and guiding. And then of course, as people kind of leave the leadership roles, kind of help facilitate a transition up. Um, because for me, at least I, I really think like I can remember just the young adult groups that I've been a part of. What was really exciting for me is having that say in leadership. And I, I think kind of saying you can do this. Um, is really the ticket to kind of get there. I, I would also really like to help because in, in my area, um, it's it's much more rural. Things are a bit spread out. We don't have a ton of Catholic churches out here. I, I think there is kind of this inherent desire to collaborate between Catholic churches. And that, that's been something that's really exciting that we'd like to try to start doing some more regional stuff as young adults and how, how can we make this a bigger area for our county. Um, and try to really help connect people. Um, because again, w- when you're a little bit spread out, you know, if you're driving 30 minutes to go to church, um, you know, you, you can drive 30 minutes in a lot of directions and go to a lot of different churches, right? So th- the distance isn't so much of a factor. So like, let's let's find ways to work together and how can we pool our resources and our people to really, really do something big and really exciting. Um, and I think I think that's something I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with that in the next couple of years. Do you know of any other ministries kind of like yours in the area in that 30, 30 minute radius? And have you done anything with them? Yeah. So we're, we, we haven't done, we haven't done a ton of stuff yet. Um, It's really kind of more in the planning phases. The one thing that we've, we've got up and running that should be exciting. And I I think it's a really good ground level to start is we're going to do a monthly theology on tap. Um, and so kind of all the parishes are pooling our resources to, you know, help find speakers, to help buy appetizers and things like that. But it's nice because, you know, we can all shoulder the burden a little bit um, and hopefully pull off a, a really solid event. Right. And I, and I think, you know, Theology on Tap, it's not a super innovative idea. I mean, it's it's a great event, um, but we're hoping that can just kind of be like a starting point for us. Right. To see how it goes and then see. You know, what relationships, again, because I think it's about bringing people together, who can we connect, and what can then we do with those connections? Like, where will the Holy Spirit lead that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've seen a lot of that in our diocese, particularly. Um, You know, we've got the theology on taps. They tend to serve sort of a niche market of what happens there. But in the longer scheme, um, a couple of things that have been tried with, um, I'd say mostly success, a lot of learning going on, um, sort of a once a year young adult festival thing it the format's been a little mixed in terms of how the day actually looks but it's been pretty successful one got kind of rained out but um just like speakers um adoration and and praise and worship to end the night but like fun stuff food trucks volleyball with nuns just like an an excuse for everybody to sort of get together for a fun day and then additionally a once a year which just kicked off this last year sort of young adult conference for all the young adults, not like leadership, but just sort of anybody who wants to go deeper, I suppose. That was another thing that was tried. It, it had mixed success, I would say, but it, it was a great starting point. There's plenty that can be done at this sort of regional slash diocese level because there's room there too. Amen. 
Amen. Absolutely. I know in Baltimore, I, I unfortunately have not gone to it yet, but um, something I made sure I was talking to the coordinator about it this year. Um, and we, we missed the deadline. So I'm going to make sure we get it on the docket for next year. But I found out a bunch of churches in um, the Baltimore city area do a young adult kickball tournament. And I was like, that's like right up our alley. That's <laughs> such a great thing, you know, and I'd, I'd love to try to bring a delegation from my area and, you know, how, how can we connect this? How can we make this bigger? Um, and something along your idea of the, um, uh, the, the, the conference ideas we tried last fall, um, doing a young adult retreat. And it was, uh, it was, it was a great for its first start. We rented an Airbnb and that, that was a hot mess express. And, every possible way that it could be just the airbnb side of stuff was just a total disaster <laughs> but I, yeah how did you... I think outside of that um like we had to get airbnb involved and the host was a nightmare and i mean i i was in the back like you know hyperventilating but people who came like had a, had a great time they're like hey this is awesome like you know we, we did we did some really cool stuff and had some good talks and you know, one of our priests came up and did mass and confession and, uh, you know, just all, all, all the good stuff. Right. We did this amazing scavenger hunt. Like the people who came had a blast. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I was just freaking I'm out about glad it. you <laughs> mentioned that because I think maybe a lot of people are intimidated that that will happen. But that's usually what happens <laughs> with the first go around of anything is that <laughs> yeah. logistically like the people in the background, like you said, hyperventilating in the back. It's it's a just dumpster fire. But the people who come usually like it anyway. Yeah. And it's just, you yeah. know, it's okay to sort of fail and learn. Yeah, their standards you know? yeah. are low. L for learn. Yeah. Um, their standards are low. And like you said, it doesn't have to be the perfect event. You know, we're the ones as the leaders stressing out about the yep. it being perfect. Whereas everybody else, they're just there for whatever they can get out of it. And if it's in any, in any way positive, then it's a, it's a good event, you know. Yeah. In, a, in another um, direction, I have a question for you. Um, fire. What would you say to like priests who don't have anything going on at their parish, but they know there's, you know, a smattering of young adults, but they don't have a minister or they don't have any volunteers. Like what's your thoughts to how to help someone in the, the priestly position get something going? I mean, I, I think so. Okay. I think, um, I think a lot of our priests struggle with decision fatigue because there is, there is so much on them. And so I think the thing is they, maybe they want to do young adult stuff, but between everything else that's going on in their life, it's, it's just like, I, I, I can't like, there's just, there's too much. I mean, what my experience has always been with young adults is if you pull together a small group and say, listen, like I need help will you do this? Like the answer is pretty much going to be yes. And then they're, they're kind of off to the races. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you might, you might need somebody to kind of make sure, especially depending on, you know, the particular gifts of the young adults that you don't walk into like the parish hall and they're like flooding it saying, Hey, we thought it would be great to have like, you know, a water balloon fight inside or something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like outside of that, like I, I think, um, I think really they can manage themselves and really do a lot of this because especially, you know, young adults, uh, they might be young in their careers, but typically they're doing important jobs that require, you know, follow through and they're living on their own. They're paying their bills like saying, hey, can you design a once a month gathering for young adults like that's 
that's not too difficult. And, and they should have the talents necessary to make that happen. Certainly. So in some, basically just ask your young adults, maybe a pulpit announcement, maybe something in the bulletin or an email, like, hey, anyone interested? And as soon as you get somebody who's interested, sort of just let them run with it within some parameters. Yeah. And even like, you know, the pulpit and the bulletin, it's that's good. But I, I also think priests should not be afraid to just single somebody out and say, I want you to do this. Like I, I think of the um, of our of our baptismal um, uh, our baptismal calling. Right. We're baptized priest, prophet and king. Like I think the one we we tend to not lean the most on is is that kingship. And, and particularly for a priest, for a pastor, like kingship is ordering the gifts of your parish towards bringing about the kingdom of God on earth, right? So using that kingly calling to single out a young adult, you see them at mass, you see them at, you know, um, you know, daily mass, maybe, you know, you kind of get to talk to them, you get the feeling they're good with people, you know, they're just kind of a good around person. Like, don't be afraid to say, hey, listen, like, I need help starting a young adult group. Like, would you help me? Um, because there's there's that immediate call, like Christ called the disciples, say me, <laughs> yes, you, like I I really need your help. Um, that powerful invite is um, it can do a lot more so than a pulpit announcement and uh, a bulletin announcement would. Well, I think that um, yeah, it's it's on the role. It's on it's the role of the priest to delegate such a thing. I think for a lot of Priests, maybe it's uh, the they feel the risk. The risk is higher than the reward because young adult ministry is definitely um, uh, a niche that isn't filled widespread, at least in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. So, and I think that's an incorrect opinion. Where you know you mm-hmm. should you should hire somebody to do it at the you know at the most, but at least delegate somebody in your parish, like you're saying. Um, but I think there's also, especially in the early stages here as young adult ministries is picking up steam to, uh, as the leader of a already established group, um, look to, at least in the future, um, ask a young adult leader in your core who might be from a different parish. I, I, I feel like this is pretty common where our, our core of people doesn't necessarily go to our home parish who hosts us. Absolutely. They're from a different parish. Absolutely. So you, you say, hey, what do you what do you think about starting your own ministry? You know, we'll help you all along the way. You can use our structure, essentially franchise out your ministry to a different uh, parish. I think that there's a responsibility on us to do that as well if, you know, it's something prudent to do, you know. And on the flip side, I guess you could, to the a priest listening or somebody thinking about talking to a priest about this, it's really easy to find an existing ministry, especially now that we have the Catholic Young Adult Group's National Directory map. You know, shameless plug. Nice. Um, find <laughs> one nearby and just be like, hey, how'd you start? Can you give me like a 30-minute pointer session? That's that's makes it a lot easier to springboard something. It's like instead of just cold calling the young adults in your parish or a specific one saying, hey, can you start something with no experience and nowhere to start? You'd be like, hey, yeah. can you step yeah. up for yeah, this? Absolutely. By the way, I have three people you can call and they'll walk you through everything involved. And I think just knowing that pretty much every parish probably has someone willing to step up. Yep. 
and like trusting that that exists because that's it can be intimidating if if you're there at the top of the little hierarchy and you're like oh man I don't want I can't take anything more on my plate I can't do this if I have to run it just knowing that the resources are there they just need to be called forth yeah and a lot of people are probably like man I wish my parish had a young adult group and they don't even think to themselves that they could be the one doing it Bringing it back to your ministry, Ken, um, you had mentioned something on the phone. I, I like I like the way this phrase kind of rings. Um, you want to avoid being a desperate social club for friends and a desperate social club for singles. So how do you um, find that happy medium where, <laughs> yeah, you know w- what I mean by that? I do. Yeah, yeah. I do. So, yeah, I, I think... Um... I think that's something you always got to be careful of. And when you're running young adult ministry is that, you know, you, you have people who, you know, haven't found their spouse yet. And so they, they kind of show up with, with that being the goal of, of these young adult groups. And that, I mean, that, that's an okay thing. You know, yeah. that's fine. I mean, meeting a spouse at that, I met my spouse at church, so that that's a great thing. Right. But if everybody in your group kind of has that, that same goal, um, you know, you, you can kind of smell desperation on people. So like somebody new walks in, it's like, oh gosh, <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to be a part of this. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think the same thing goes for, for friends is that, you know, when we lean so heavily on relationship, um, you know, that that's obviously going to attract people, especially people who are desperately looking for friends. And I, I think the way that you temper that is you as the leader have to be really intentional about inviting people into your ministry to kind of help you counteract some of those elements, right? Is so you want the group to be open to everybody, but that that's kind of where your core group comes into effect is you just kind of say, okay, you know, who, who do I want in this group? I want people who are, you know, um, comfortable around people. I want people who, um, even if they're not dating somebody or married or whatever, like, they're just they're kind of comfortable where they are in their station of life, right? Like they're 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 situated and they're good, um, and and you want people that are are kind of able to converse and naturally naturally carry on, and those are the people you want to try to call into ministry, um, and and connect people with because then I think you know if, if people start showing up that are. Um, you know, a little bit socially awkward or, you know, just, they're just really there to find a date. Having those people around kind of helps helps balance that mix out. Sure. So just, just getting a diverse, uh, just a wide range of people to sort of have it organically balance out. Everybody's got sort of a different thing they want to get out of this ministry. And having them all there will kind of equal the playing field in the sense. Just, right. Yeah. Um, so you're you're just kind of you're hoping Providence will take hold and that it will be a natural balance, right? Yeah. Well, it's it's also kind of in I, I think going back to how you recruit, like it's it's being intentional, right? Like mm-hmm. obviously we we'll want to cast the net far and wide, um, you know, but but kind of in the same sense of like if you're you know, running a business and you desperately need to hire a plumber and, you know, you can't hire a plumber. Like you don't just throw up your hands and say, well, I guess plumbers aren't out there. You say, well, I got, I got to go find them. 
You know what I mean? And so that that's kind of where you then start deploying other strategies, right? Of like, just kind of start talking to people in your parish and say like, Hey, who are some really good, solid young adults that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, join, join a gym near your church. And, you know, again, this is putting yourself out there, but don't, don't be afraid to go in, pray and ask God to help connect you with people. Right. Um, you know, what are some of the restaurants in your areas? You know, where, where do young adults go? Where do they hang out? Like, frequent those areas and try to connect with people. And again, I, I think your social network at your church is going to be the best way to find people. Because I, I think, again, everybody knows somebody and who might be good at this. And it's just, it's taking the time to chase those down. I, I think some of the times that's the thing in ministry we don't do well is we don't give ourselves time to really build these relationships. It's like, Hey, the event is in two weeks and I need people to show up. So we're kind of left with these shotgun approaches as opposed to us deliberately trying to cultivate those relationships and find the people that you need. Yeah. That's, um, that's a very difficult task. And I think that's, that's, uh, chief among our responsibilities as leaders is to, be very intentional, not only with the relationships, but everything we do. But relationships is the the biggest thing. You're trying to form this culture of, you know, fomenting these relationships. And I've, I really like that strategy of getting to know somebody in a, not in the, with this in mind, you know, in the young adult ministry, but it's sort of on the outside when you're inviting them, you know, what kind of like really discerning what kind of person this is that you're getting ready to invite? Do they fit into this culture? Can they mm-hmm. kind of provide um, a piece that's missing, right? And and help with the overall balance. So I have um, I, I got a couple yeah, thoughts go more on this. <clears throat> I think this is one of those uncomfortable topics for a lot of people where mm-hmm. we have to acknowledge the existence of socially awkward people. Uh, relationally desperate people or just generally desperate people that we have to actively sort of counter that. And it can be tough because on the one hand, we want to have open doors to everyone and invite everybody. But like you can end up in a sticky situation where a quote unquote socially normal person shows up and they're like, oh, I don't want to be here. This is a little weird. (laughs) But the, the action taken, I think it kind of comes back to what we were saying with priests. It's like, don't be afraid to call people to more in terms of ministry. So when, you know, maybe a socially apt person has come a few times, be like, hey, we really see a lot of value in being here. And we want to call you to perhaps like helping us keep this and then like quietly from being too weird for normal people, quote unquote. <laughs> it, it's uncomfortable to talk about but it is a reality so we got to address it yeah no that's that's what i've said to my leaders and it always gets a laugh but i i say to them i just like listen i was like you know we love people we want people to encounter god i said but we can't have this be a place for you know single desperate people and it, it always makes people laugh and i'm just like and that that's what i i tell my leadership is i say the reason that you're here is I want people when they come into this group to meet you and say, oh, like I have a place here because wherever you kind of fall in that in that spectrum, I think um, I think you see somebody who's well grounded, who's comfortable living their life like that's going to make you feel welcome regardless of 
whether you're here for the right reasons or, you know, you're, you're on a little bit of that socially awkward, desperate spectrum. So have you ever had to take particular action, say, with a particular person who is disrupting this balance? And how'd you go about doing that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Um, yes. So, uh you know, we, 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 we get our fair share of people across, uh, you know, a whole, a whole range of hosts. Um, and, and a lot of it can, can be handled, I think, through just simple redirection, right? Is so like, you know, we, we were doing a Bible study once and I, I couldn't even tell you the topic. It was on Jonah. And we ended up talking about some obscure part of history that only, two people had an interest in talking about. And so like kind of as the leader, like you, you kind of let people have a little bit of leeway, but then you've got to nicely insert yourself and just kind of redirect the conversation back to what we're talking about. Right. Um, and kind of, and kind of stave that off a bit. Um, redirection can really help. Right. And kind of that, that formal kind of small group way. And, you know, not, not being afraid, like, even if you're close to age of the people you're leading, I'm, I'm lucky because I have like, you know, 10 years on the people I'm leading. So, you know, I can kind of <laughs> put that down a little bit, a little bit easier, but even if you're closer in age, like, you know, as the leader, like you're invested with authority. And so not being, a, being afraid to say, Hey, that that's great. But, you know, we're, we're here to talk about this. So let's kind of, Let's kind of bring this back to that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's something where, again, having having other leaders that can help you, um, it's it's kind of a good way in some ways to kind of, quote unquote, pass the problem. <laughs> so sure. if, if, if you're having, you know, someone who's a little bit, you know, just kind of like, you know, kind of putting a weird vibe into a particular situation just, you know, kind of coming up with something of, hey, let me let me take you over here. You know, would really love to hear about that. Beth, Beth would really love to hear about that. Right. And, you know, Beth already probably has some sort of understanding of what's going on. So it's like, hey, can you talk to Beth about, you know, whatever the migratory pattern of birds or something like that, you know? Sure. Um, and some people are just really, really gifted with that ability to listen to other people. Um, and, and even like I've been blessed. We have some people in our in our group who serve as leaders who like it, it, it brings them genuine joy to have these awkward conversations. Because, <laughs> because I think they're just like they're just kind of amused by the, mm -hmm. the direction the conversation goes. You know sure. what I mean? Um, so I, I think I think that's that's another way to handle it. Um, I, I also think it's it's good because I, I think we struggle sometimes as a church to just remind everybody involved in ministry that, like, it's okay to have boundaries, right? Um, like, I, I had a young adult one time who was just desperate for my advice, desperate, 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 and just, I, I mean, you know, texting me, phone calling, I, I mean, just around the clock, right? And so, like, having enough enough confidence in yourself to say, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm doing X. I'm doing Y. Like I can't get back to you. I'll get back to you, you know, at, at a time that's convenient for you, right? Like building in those boundaries. I think that that's also a very good and healthy thing to do because I think sometimes as, 
as church leaders, we feel like we've got to be available at all times to all people, right? Like didn't St. Paul say, be all things to all people, right? But, you know, that, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you need to sacrifice your sanity, sanity and your time, um, you know, to deal with somebody who's just absolutely desperate for – because of no fault of your own, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and and the problem a, is go, – go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, kind of a fu- final sort of question in this area perhaps because there's probably people out there who are in this situation. Have you ever had to go do a one-on-one with a particular person where you set boundaries and if they cross them, they're unwelcome in the future? Uh, Fortunately, I've never had to exclude somebody, but I I have had to have those difficult conversations. Yes. Yeah. Have you, do you have any advice on those in general? Yes, I do. So I think one, um, when when a, the sooner you deal with a problem, the better it is. Like that that doesn't mean that somebody starts talking and they're like, "Hey, I want to talk about you know, I don't know, medieval jousting or whatever." <laughs> like, you know, you don't like jump on that and say yeah, no. Like I don't, don't cool. want to talk about that. You know, yeah. there's a problem. Get out of here, you weirdo. Um, but like, I, I think once it becomes clear there's a problem, like the sooner you deal with it, the better because it's easier to have a a conversation that's less emotional sooner than it is later. Like no good comes of just taking a problem down the road. Like it, it, it never gets better. It just makes us feel better in the short run. Right. Um, and there, there's something virtuous about that. I, I also think it's a good thing to remember that like as the group leader, like again, you're, you're that spiritual shepherd. Like it's up to you to take care of the sheep. And sometimes that means taking a stand that might feel a little bit awkward, but again, you're doing it for the betterment of the group. Um, and I always think it's good, like you said, to do that in kind of a one-on-one setting, um, you know, or maybe having a second person there, but, but no more than that, you know, and just being very, very clear about what the issue is and being very clear about what you need them to do going forward. Um, and, and just, and being, being nice, being direct, but being firm, there's, there's a really good strategy called, uh, called Biff, right. Um, and, in, in dealing with these situations and it, it's terminology that's been out there before Biff stands for brief, informative, friendly, and firm. Right. And so it doesn't need to become this big thing. You keep the conversation short, you keep it informative about, Hey, I don't know if you know this, but like. This behavior is not okay. Like it makes people feel uncomfortable. You're friendly about it. You don't need to bully or intimidate anybody. And and you're firm. It's just like there's there's no wiggle room on this. You know, like this is what you have to do to be a part of the group, right? Um, and I, I've been fortunate enough that when you lean into that, um, people respect that because I think a lot of the times it comes from either their own lack of understanding as a person of their own um, – <laughs> their own weirdness, how they're <laughs> impacting people. Like maybe they just don't have the social graces to like recognize that what they're doing is very offensive. Um, or maybe they just have really poor boundaries themselves. And so like being called out on that makes them go, Oh, okay. Like I, I need to do this. And even sometimes I think trying to dialogue a little bit with them so you can try to understand where they're coming from. So you can give them maybe a little bit of a little bit of a course correction. Yeah, um, something you said there. Um, 
it's it made me think of the times that we had to do this sort of intervention, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought about it, and at no in none of these particular instances was it spurred on by our own initiative, right? It's like from our perspective as a leader, we uh, gauged the room, so to speak. We we heard things from various people who would come to our our events. And there, mm-hmm. there, were, there were complaints about a particular person. Mm-hmm. So it happened frequently enough to where we decided to do what you did and set them aside and have this talk. Um, but it was always from almost a third-party perspective, like so-and-so. We heard this from Anonymous. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we don't pass any blame. We just say... Basically, uh, we take an investigative approach. We try to get to the bottom of the issue and see how that person reacts. Whether we believe it to be true or not, that's not our role. We're trying to mediate. So trying to get to the bottom of the issue and see if it's actually true, if this person admits to it, or even if they don't, you know, just give them a warning like, hey, we don't like this type of behavior, you know, or here's why what so-and-so said is not good for the group cohesion and just put it out there as a generality don't pin it on them right like they're, they're already there they know they're kind of on the spot and if they've done it then they can kind of do a correction right so it's very uh, i think it's charitable in that way we're not blaming we're not um telling them that you know who said it and and why kind of thing you, you know what i mean yeah yeah absolutely we've also seen too in most cases people are willing to make an adjustment and stick around yeah and very rarely do they kind of not come anymore though we've had that happen too but that was a particular thing with particular people and it's kind of an aside sure anthony you had another different question i think um i mean really this is this is great insight on relationships and kind of group dynamics, uh, especially from the leader's perspective. Uh, but there were a couple questions um, that we sort of skipped from the kind of the canned questions, but interesting nonetheless, and maybe thought provoking as well. Um, so when you first took on this leadership role, um, is there anything that you, you know, wherever you're sitting or standing or laying right now? Um, are, are so grateful that you implemented uh, something that you did in the early going that you just uh, thank thank the Lord that I implemented this in my into my group um, that you'd like to share with all the listeners here. I I think it was making sure that I didn't have everything perfect and that I was inviting people into it hmm. um, because I I think there's kind of that temptation of I don't know what we're doing we need to get a group consensus and. And not that you should just go rogue, but like that idea of like, you know, hey, I'm trying to build something like come come along with me and help me do this mm-hmm. type thing. Like, I, I think I'm I'm very grateful that I involved other people um, right from the get go and that we we continue to involve those people because one, I think that that makes everything better. Like I've, I've got limited energy, limited creativity, limited focus. And so being able to harness a group of people to do that is is always beneficial. Um, but I think they can they can help improve kind of what you're doing. And when they get excited about it, then then your things really kind of really kind of take off. I know we're working um, right now on an event in December um, 
for uh, a karaoke night. I, it never would have occurred to me to do karaoke. <laughs> and just so many people are like pumped about this. Um, and it, it was kind of funny. Like it came up in, in one of our planning sessions where somebody misheard something and it was like, like we should do a pudding party. And, and so like that, that's kind of become like a running joke of like the pudding party is <laughs> going to be February 30th. And like, you know, we're, <laughs> we're going to have our pastor, like, you know, throwing up, um, you know, like peace signs with Justin Bieber or <laughs> something stupid, you know, that we'll put on our, our Instagram and be like, Hey, you should have been there for the pudding party. Right. But like, it's just, it's, it's stupid, but like, you know, I think like, bringing that group together and and not being afraid that I don't know what we're doing and I don't know what direction we're going and I don't have things completely planned out. Like, I think that's been like really energizing for that group. So that's something I'm glad I did sooner rather than later. Yeah. Kind of this sentiment that it's your group too, you know, uh, sure. Yeah. It's, it's self-evident or it's, it's self-evident. It's evident that I'm the leader of this. I'm, I've, I've invited you here, but I'm calling you to make this your own and all your input is valuable to me and kind of it's a it's a gesture of humility on your part like I can't really do this on my own and I need you right and I think that's yeah. it's flattering and you know it gives them an opportunity to really grow um you know the mission in the mission and in their faith too so um next question um is there anything any words of caution um, in the same vein, something as you're sitting there now, something that you wish you hadn't implemented or something uh, that you neglected to do early on that kind of plagues you to this day. Or maybe something you sorted out that you kind of want to say, hey, don't do this, listener. If you're looking to start a group, don't do this thing I did. <laughs> well, um, And if there's nothing, that's great. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I fail quite regularly and sometimes very spectacularly. Um, you know, I, I think. Um, okay, here's here's, I think, a good example of of don't don't do this um, is is don't let failure discourage you. Um, and, and what I mean by that, so I, I set up, I, we were going to do this epic scavenger hunt this, this summer all over our city. I was so pumped for it. And the night the scavenger hunt came and two people showed up. Um, and I was like, wow, um, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like my initial gut instinct was like, I was mad and I was just like, just cancel it. I'm going to go home and just you know, sit there and be grouchy that nobody came to my thing. But then I was like, you know what? Um, I, I said to the people who showed up, I said, hey, there's a diner like right near here. I was like, you guys probably don't want it like because it would have been like them versus each other. And like that, that sucks because <laughs> nobody wants to like do a scavenger hunt by themselves. Right. right. Like the whole thing was being a car race around, you know, do stupid stuff. And so um, I was like, why don't I take you to dinner? And like at this local diner and let's just like talk. And I knew one of the people fairly well. Um, and the other person I, I really didn't know. And I, I think that was a really good use of our time and our money um, because everybody likes a free dinner. But I really got to know those people on a on a deeper level. And I, I think in some ways we did better ministry that evening 
than um, than maybe we would have done if we had had like a large group show up and do the the scavenger hunt. Um, so I guess like you know don't don't be afraid of failure. And you know if, if an event does go sideways or just completely blow up, like take what you can and and just make the best of it. Because I think that could also be the Holy Spirit redirecting you to think about other things. Oh yeah, definitely agree. That's great. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious as just a final thought, um, you're giving us some good ideas. I don't think, um, you know, we do, there's this, uh, event in, in Cleveland, um, where, um, it's an open mic night, you know, um, people cool. go up and they just display their talents and a lot of it's musical. Um, naturally I would say sure. most people are, if, if there's any talent that's widespread, it's, it's musical inclination. So. Um, but I'm, I'm interested in this karaoke idea, so we might implement that. And that one's pretty <laughs> self-explanatory, but you mentioned a scavenger hunt. Um, how does one go about putting on a scavenger hunt? And you said it was going to be pretty <laughs> widespread. So yeah. there's, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of ways you can do this. And I, I feel like I've used this in a lot of different ministries that I've done. So you, you've got your stereotypical, um, like photo or, or video scavenger hunt, right? And that's where, and, and I think the key here, right, is it's like the relationships are what make the scavenger hunt fun. Like th- to some degree, it's not like you have that puzzle element, which is kind of fun, um, but it's really the people you're doing the hunt with that that make it fun. So like the idea is that you want people to sign up for like cars, right? Where you have designated people who will lead and drive, and then you kind of give everybody in the car a role, right? Like somebody's going to be the navigator. Somebody's going to be the DJ. Yeah. Somebody's going to be, you know, the, the person DJ. who sings loudly to every song, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you make it a team thing, right? And then you're you're all working on the clues. And so this thing would be go somewhere and take a picture at a thing or, you know, find a thing that's there and, um, you, you know, stuff, stuff like that. So um, – so that's that's one approach to this. Um, the other approach is you you go and you hide stuff places, and there are actually really really cool apps that you can you can use on like a trial basis or like you pay a subscription for, and it becomes like an interactive map to like help you help oh. you find this. I mean, you can even do stuff where like you post pictures of things that you've hidden, right, and they have to decipher from the clues like where those things are and then go find and take pictures with them. So there's tons of different ways to do this. But to me, what makes it really, really fun is the camaraderie and the relationships that you're, you're building with it. How is the setup on your end? Is it a pretty big endeavor or, well, if, if you're hiding things around your city, yeah, it's, it's going to yeah. suck. <laughs> it's going to take a long time. And have you, have you done that? Time. Have you actually, hid stuff around the city we we have and that that's that's a little bit tricky because again like random people will find stuff and move it and be like hey this isn't here you know (laughs) and stuff like that um you know and depending on what you have them do some people can get really really grouchy like i i know i i came up we did a photo scavenger hunt once it was a video this was a video like put all your stuff into like a reel and at the end of the night and then show it to people right because nobody wants to see a thousand videos of you guys driving around in a car even if they're all funny um but like, you know, top 10 or whatever. But I, I came up with this clue that was you go into a gas station, find a gas station, 
go into it and that video yourself asking the clerk what year is it and when they answer run out of the gas station yelling it worked it worked it worked well (laughs) what i didn't realize is all of our teams picked the (laughs) same exact gas station by just dumb luck and so like this guy you watched him in the video he got angrier and angrier and angrier (laughs) went on because it was like the 10th time he was being filmed and he was just like what year is it he's just like i'm so over this (laughs) you're gonna have to send that over again i gotta see yeah i i can i i found some i found some good ones and i mean the the nice thing about the photo scavenger hunt is you kind of design it and then it's on them to fill in the blanks and and that's kind of where it becomes really kind of cool and fun because you say like take a picture of some place where your group wouldn't normally fit, but you guys fit anyway. And so then, then they're kind of left saying, what are we going to do? And that sparks the creativity, the excitement, the dialogue, and then you're building relationship, which is the whole point of the thing to begin with. And that sounds like a great, great event. Mm -hmm. So we're, uh, we're starting to run on time here. Any final thoughts, Ken? Um, you know, be, be bold. Don't be afraid to do it. Invite random people um, because you never know what's going to happen. And just and and don't don't be afraid of rejection. Um, even sometimes people you invite them to events a hundred times. You know maybe they need that hundredth and one invitation. You know just just be bold. Don't take rejection personally, and don't be afraid to fail and and go get them. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for uh, spending the time to talk with us today, Ken. And just in case there's anybody in your area who might have listened, can you just say like, where are you from, where the group meets, how to get in touch with you? Sure. Yeah. So we're at uh, St. John, which is located in Westminster, Maryland. Um, we meet about uh, two times a month. Um, you can find us on our website, www.sjwest.org. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram, which is sjwest.org underscore young adults. All right. Hey, thank you so much. And thank you everybody for listening. Everyone have a blessed day. We hope you were inspired by this podcast and we encourage you to share it on social media and warmly invite you to distribute our Catholic scapulars, medals, books, and booklets to your family, friends, parish, and social groups. Visit us online at catholiccity.com for more information. The real work of the Mary Foundation is accomplished by people just like you. There are three ways to help. First, please pray for everyone who hears, reads, or wears our materials. Second, share them with everyone you know, family, friends, fellow parishioners, and the people you work with. Only you can reach them. Finally, please help us financially. It seems impossible, but we don't do traditional fundraising here at the Mary Foundation. We rely on your generosity and God's providence. By the way, if you, your parish, or your Catholic group would like to distribute our materials by the dozens, hundreds, or even thousands, all we ask for is help covering our materials costs. So please visit us online for suggested donations. For our Canadian friends and those outside the United States, Only online requests are accepted, so please refer to the special shipping rates listed on our website. Thanks for listening, and we're looking forward to working with you. May God bless you always. And now, here's a short preview of our Rosary and Divine Mercy Chaplet, the most popular rosary recording in the history of the world. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. For an increase in the virtues of faith, hope, and charity. 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without permission is prohibited.